we want to, uh, before we jump into the message today, I want to invite you, and we just prayed for the offering. Uh, we prayed at the beginning of the service. Uh, I want to invite you to pray now. We'll close in prayer as well, but we want to be a praying church. And uh, if you do have the bulletins you have in there, just a couple of uh, prayer requests there, just dealing with the whole COVID-19 thing. And I think it would be uh, appropriate and helpful for us to uh, just take a couple of minutes to pray uh, about this entire situation uh, together as a church. So I'll lead us. Uh, let's just take a couple of minutes here to, uh, to pray for this together. Father, what a, what a strange time. Uh, we find ourselves in. Uh, Lord, as we think about all of the, um, the difficulties, uh, the, the sicknesses, the infections, the people that uh, maybe have it, don't know it, have it, are worried about recovering, and others who are worried about getting it. Uh, God, you command us to not be anxious and you remind us that you uh, take care of us. You, you know all things. And this doesn't escape your wisdom or your insight or your sovereign hand. So we don't want to be fearful or worrisome. Uh, would you allow our hearts to be at rest and at peace, to be diligent and thoughtful but not worried and not anxious. And may that be a witness to a watching world that Christians deal with crises differently, uh, that a, a pandemic is put into a certain perspective for us, a perspective that the world doesn't have. So Father, we pray for those that are working on, uh, on the virus and what we're supposed to do about it. We pray for the, the, the experts. They're still fallible. They're, they're human. They don't know everything. Would you guide them? Would you uh, allow the authorities, uh, the governing authorities, to do things that are sensible? Uh, and Father, for those of us who disagree with policies, with policy makers, uh, but bear the name of Christ, would we, uh, would you help us to uh, be respectful to honor those leaders that you've put in place, that you are over. Would, we, uh, would you help us to guard our language and uh, how we speak about leaders who are of a, a party that we don't favor? And how we communicate with one another on Facebook, uh, on social media, over the phone, uh, on Zoom calls that we would be respectful with one another when we disagree about the best way to handle something that's uh, unprecedented, at least in our lifetimes. Uh, give us reasonableness, gentleness, that should be evident to everyone that we talk with. And God, the basis of that is our lack of worry, our lack of fear. Uh, help us to be united and like-minded as a church. And that our witness would be bright and shining, not muddled because of um, behavior that is not becoming of Christians. Lord, I include myself in all of that. We, uh, we all need 
to continue to grow in our humility and in our confidence and trust in you. Father, as we enter a time of looking into your word, would you guide us and allow your spirit to teach us what we're supposed to learn here? Uh, and I pray that my shortcomings as a preacher wouldn't get in the way of what you have in store for all those uh, participating now in this service and listening to your holy scripture. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, uh, you can turn to 1 John. Uh, we're continuing our series through 1 John. We're starting chapter 4 today, and we're just in those first six verses in chapter 4. And I do encourage you to turn there uh, and not just passively listen to a preacher, but actively engage with what is being preached. Uh, and it's hard to do that without a Bible. So use your phone, use an app, whatever you need to use to, to get a translation of God's word in front of you. Uh, please turn to 1 John 4. Uh, how well do you know how to use a fire extinguisher? Right. You might find out one day right, when something happens you didn't expect. You're like, I didn't, I didn't pay attention. I never read the label. Do I pull the pin, twist the pin? Do I aim it, shoot it? Is there a trigger? Uh, you might have fire extinguishers laying around the house. Maybe you don't. Uh, but even if you do, do you really know how to use it? Uh, when your house is burning, that's not the best time to figure out how to use it, right? Do you have any open windows in your house? Are there any open windows on the second floor of your, of your, where the place where you live? Uh, you might not really go around the house checking for open windows until there's a break-in then windows are everything to you, right? Uh, why did we leave that unlocked? Well, I didn't really care. I didn't think it was gonna happen to us. I didn't think this was a bad neighborhood, right? It's not until something hits that you find out whether you're ready for that or not. Uh, we wish we had a longer heads up on this, on this virus, uh, but we're seeing now we weren't as ready for it as we probably should have been. Be, not because we didn't know pandemics existed or that viruses existed, uh, you know, Hollywood is pumping out movies monthly about uh, viruses, whether it be about zombies or just diseases in general uh, or natural disasters. Uh, and it just stays in Hollywood until something actually happens and something actually hits. Uh, and so today's message, as I'm looking at this verse, I don't think it's applicable to us because we've experienced it or are experiencing it. But we, we can, we could, it might happen to our church, it might happen to a family in our church, it might happen to you. Uh, in fact, I think scripture guarantees that we're going to come across the danger that John talks about in today's passage. But John is writing to a group of Christians for whom this pandemic has hit, and that's the, the disease of false teachers. These false teachers were a part of the church, they were trusted by the people in the church, they probably taught well. They seemed educated. Uh, but it turns out in the end that they were false teachers and they left the church. And I don't think the people left behind in the churches were just kind of like, meh, those guys were jerks anyway. I think they were hurt by it. I think they were reeling from it. And I think some of them possibly were still um, 
confused by some of the things that they were teaching. And so John is trying to clear the clutter and writing to his uh, believers. Probably these false teachers were saying, if you don't follow our way of teaching, you're lost. You don't have Christ. You don't have the truth. And so they're confused. Am I saved? Am I not saved? They're, say, they're saying I'm not in. So that's why John is keeping to keep keeps repeating, "Hey, you're in. Let me let me help you understand how you know you're in." And today, or at, in this passage at the, at the top of chapter four, he's trying to describe uh, how to discern false teachers. And again, we might look around us and go, "Well, I don't. There's no false teachers in CFC. I don't think, right?" Uh, but this could be a danger that happens later. And to be prepared for that danger later, you need to be prepared now and so as we look at the top of chapter four he tells us that we are not supposed to just believe anybody anyone who claims to be a teacher is not necessarily teaching truth and so he says in verse one beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god for many false prophets have gone out into the world uh, he wants them to not be gullible. Okay. Uh, if you have to ask somebody else in your family, you always have to double check with someone else in the church to see if they give you a thumbs up on whether something's true or not. You're still kind of gullible, right? Uh, you're just depending on someone else. And how do you know that someone else is teaching truth or error? They might be a family member. It might be your pastor, right? But how do you know? And so he's saying you don't want to just believe everyone that comes along. Uh, they, they might be ordained. They might be flashy. They might be really good speakers, winsome, charismatic, uh, nice, kind, right? Seems like a good person. Have a family. You scroll through their Facebook pics. Looks like they've got their lives together. Uh, those. That's not how you test a teacher. A really weird, right? If you look at this, test every spirit. He doesn't say teacher, but he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Now, now, if you're thinking like, well, spirits, it sounds like demons and angels and stuff. You're right. Most of the time when scripture uses the, the term spirits, uh, it's uh, scripture is talking about angels, either fallen or uh, good angels, right? Usually fallen angels. Uh, but here, John is clearly talking about teachers. Uh, you'll see that as we continue to read this paragraph, but by testing spirits, he doesn't mean go get, you know, radioactive sensitive equipment and flip the lights and go with sensors around the house like Ghostbusters trying to pick up on paranormal activity. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching you. Test it. Right? Not with uh, uh, equipment, but a different way. But he's talking about teachers and, and discerning whether they're false or true. Uh, but I think there are evil spirits behind it because that's, that's, uh, that's their MO. Ever, from, ever since the beginning, you know, when, uh, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, right? And Satan is the tempter. Uh, he comes in and says, did, did God really say? He starts adjusting the message, right? He doesn't outright give a different message. He takes the message that was given to Eve and adjusts it, changes it, brings it into question. And that's how he deceives. When Jesus himself is in the wilderness, 
Satan comes to tempt him. And what is the battleground? The truth of God, right? Satan is presenting something and, and Jesus is using scripture to correct it and say, that's not true. Actually, this is what God's word says. And so behind the false teachers, I think are evil spirits. Uh, but behind the true teachers are, is the spirit of God. As we'll see as we continue to read through this, there's kind of two groups. You've got the teachers that are teaching right. They're teaching truth. And they're inspired by God. They're, they're backed by God's authority. Uh, they have the anointing of the Spirit, as he talked about uh, earlier in this book. And then you've got the false teachers who are in error. And they are false prophets. And so our responsibility is not to be passive and sit back uh, with teaching, but we're supposed to actively engage and test. We're supposed to test teachers and not just believe every spirit that comes along. And you might wonder, why would anybody listen to wacky teaching? Do you still get scammers calling you? Do you still get emails that are pretending to be somebody else and they're trying to scam you? If no one was ever duped by it, the racket would be over. I mean, no, no one would, would set up a scamming scheme if it, if it never worked. Of course it works. The fact that you still get scam calls tells you somebody out there somewhere is picking up the call and giving money somehow to people, right? Uh, people that are undiscerning, people that don't understand the way the world works, people who haven't been uh, made privy to the way scammers work, they're still gullible, they're still naive. And what we see John doing is not saying, hey, just trust your preachers, guys, just trust preachers. No, he's saying test the preachers, test the teachers, whether they're false or whether they're true. And so that's something that we're responsible for. And this is the way the enemy works. Uh, like I said, I think there are evil spirits behind uh, the false teaching and, and the deceit. Uh, Satan is the, the father of lies. And so demons aren't in your closet and under your bed, right? They're on YouTube. They're on Facebook. They're in churches. I mean, he, he's writing to a group of people who, that these false prophets just left the church. They were with them, hanging out with them. They grilled together. Their kids hung out together. They taught Sunday school together. And now they're, now they're gone because their false teaching has been exposed. And so this, this is easy. You know, as a church, we can't control what you watch, what you read, who comes your way, who comes knocking on your door. We can only prepare you for discerning whether what's being uh, taught is truth or error. And he says, hey, look at verse 1. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. I, what he means by gone out into the world is they, they've left churches. I think that's kind of the angle that he's going at there. They've gone out, they've left. And oftentimes these false prophets, they start off in church, they learn the Bible, they go to Bible colleges, and then they leave. They defect, and they take the truth, and they adjust it and turn it into something else. And this doesn't happen once in a while, and it's not one or two people. There are many of them. There are many of them. And so he's trying to help them understand this is a danger. They're, they are out there. They are real, and they are false. Do not listen to them. 
You don't, don't believe what they're telling you. Discern it. You remember back in chapter 2, verse 18, Jesus said, or, or John said, as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now think about how many churches were focused on the Antichrist. We're opening the newspaper and trying to figure out which politician might be the Antichrist. And he's like, yeah, yeah, an Antichrist is coming, but there are many Antichrists, aren't there? And guess what? They're not politicians, they're preachers. They're teachers. They use the Bible. They've got YouTube channels, right? They've got mega churches. As, as in chapter 2, verse 18, as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. There are many. And then here again, he emphasizes that the false prophets, there's many of them. And so this is a, a danger, and you might uh, be aware of it. You might be less aware of it. Uh, I just don't want you to be caught unaware uh, when you've already been duped or you're already going down a trail. Uh, and it might be uh, some damage may have already been done. I want you to be aware of it ahead of time. And so Jesus warned his disciples about false prophets in Matthew 7 in Matthew 7 verse 15 Jesus says these false prophets are going to come and they're not going to come like ravenous wolves they are ravenous wolves but that's not how they're going to show up how are they going to show up as ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing have you ever heard that term a wolf in sheep's clothing that's Jesus line right and he's talking about um, he's not talking about bad boyfriends He's not talking about grumpy employers. He's talking about preachers, teachers in the church that sound at first like they are responsible representatives of God's word, but uh, they have an ulterior motive to devour you, to kill you. They just want to follow him, and they will have you follow them right out. Jesus talked about the fact that many false prophets will arise in Matthew 24. And uh, again, with that word many, not just that many false prophets will arise in Matthew 24, 11, not that just many false prophets will arise, but will lead many astray. Now, Jesus doesn't say that might happen. He said that's going to happen, that many will be led astray. That's sad. And that's a little bit scary. Uh, if you've ever read Second Peter, Second Peter is kind of weird. It's got some weird verses, but he's pretty clear about this. He said, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. <laughs> They're not going, hey, I've got a heresy for you. Want to try it on? Secretly. They're not going to come outright and say it's a heresy. If you press them, they're going to wiggle around certain things, and they're going to kind of come through the back door on certain things. But at the end of the day, they're heresies, and it's not benign, right? When, when we get into this mode of we just want to love Jesus, we should all just get along, who are we to criticize other people's beliefs? Well, if you're a Christian, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to critique what's being said. It's not because you're being a jerk. It's because you're being discerning. And it's mandated of you to be discerning. So this isn't just uh, asking your uncle whether this teaching is approved. You have to do your homework. You have to be a discerning Christian, a discerning person, so that you can discern whether there are false teachers sneaking in destructive heresies through the back door. They're going to do it secretly, according to Second Peter 2, 
uh, verse 1. So this is something that uh, they're like scammers in the church. They're going to try to, uh, they're going to sound slick. It's going to sound right, uh, but something's off. And if you're discerning, then you can, you can apply a test and see that they are false teachers. That doesn't mean everything they say is false, but there's some heresy in there that is destructive, something there that is not true. So how do we discern them? How do we test them? Well, he gives us an example in the next couple verses. He says in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Wait, the Antichrist has come? Yeah. Not the ultimate Antichrist, maybe not the, end, the, the final one, whoever that is or whatever that might look like, but Antichrists are here, as we just made plain. How do you discern between those that are of the Spirit of God and those that are not, those that are of the Antichrist? Talk about Jesus. Not the t-shirt Jesus. right? Not the Jesus with the thumbs up and the glowing tooth right? Not a Facebook Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. That means the Jesus that matches what the Old Testament said about a coming Messiah, the Mashiach of, of the Old Testament prophets, the Jesus that matches that, the Jesus that's called everlasting God, right? The Prince of Peace, this Emmanuel who was to come, that Jesus. And not just the promised Messiah, uh, but that he has come in the flesh. Not that he's in the flesh and become God, but from God come into the flesh. You're like, what's the difference? That's a huge difference. That makes you different from Mormons. That makes you different from Jehovah's Witnesses. Again, so these are people that are going to knock on your door, and they're going to want to talk about end time stuff. They're going to want to talk about this, that, and the other thing. And it doesn't take long to press them on Jesus to find out they have a very radically different view of who Jesus is. As uh, people come out and say, hey, why don't we just get along with uh, Islam? Don't we just worship the same God? They call him Allah and we call him, yeah, we call him Jesus Christ. Of course there's a difference. And it's not because, again, we're, we're not trying to be jerks. It's not because we're divisive. It's because we're discerning. And there's a difference. And so we're supposed to apply a test to teachers. And one of the ways you can test them is let's get down to Jesus. Let's go. You have somebody in your family and they're being given into a cult and some cult leaders telling them they're supposed to have dreams. They're supposed to have visions. If their pastor isn't preaching their visions and dreams, then their pastor isn't a legitimate prophet uh, and weird stuff like that. You can talk about dreams and visions all day. Who's Jesus? You can pretty much guarantee they have a, a whack view of who Jesus is. And so that's a core central tenet of Christianity. And this is a growing concern of mine. Those of you who've heard me preaching for a while know that this is something I'm trying to write about, read more about, and I talk about it all the time. But pastors that are content to have back-to-back -back church services with no Jesus in it, I think that's a problem. Sermon after sermon, they're explaining the text, but they're not, they're not connecting the Bible that they're preaching, the portion of the Bible that they're preaching, with Jesus. I, I think that's a problem because you've got a cult in the making. Everybody's cool with a gener generic God. Everyone's cool with God is love, which we'll talk about next week. 
All right, everybody likes love. Everybody likes a benevolent God who lets you do whatever you want. But if you get specific about Jesus Christ, not just Jesus Christ, the gentle and lowly shepherd, but the conquering king of Revelation 19, the Jesus who rides a horse, the Jesus with, uh, who's the king of kings, the Jesus with the sword, who cuts down wickedness and doles out God's wrath, that Jesus, not the Jesus we want him to be, not the Jesus we create in our own image, but the Jesus that's presented to us in the Bible as is to love him, to worship him as scripture describes him. That's where you'll find the difference. Who is Jesus? And so it's not enough to say the name Jesus. It's not enough to have a Jesus keychain or to have a fish on the back of your car. False prophets are cool with all of that. It's not enough to do things in Jesus' name. You remember Jesus said on that day, the people are going to come up to me like, I, Lord, they call him Lord. They said, I did this in your name. I did, I did miracles in your name. I cast out demons in your name. And he said, I never knew you. Oops, wrong Jesus. You had the name right. That's it. There was no relationship and there was no true confession. And so the nature of who Jesus is, is important. The nature of who Jesus is, is important. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. That he's from God and that he's come in the flesh. This is central to Christianity. Is this the only way to discern? No. I think there's an underlying principle here. It's not just the who is Jesus test. That's part of it. But underlying that, I mean, how, how do we know who Jesus is? Right? There's something underlying. There's an underlying principle there for us to be serious about. And so Christology, the, or who, who Christ is, that's a huge part of it. And that's central. Uh, but there's something broader at play. Uh, and that is what he moves on to in four through six. He says, little children, again, he's being fatherly to them. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Again, John is just, he's so plain. He's the plainest writer in scripture, I think. He just goes back to the same things. He'll give it to you the positive way. He'll give it to you the negative way. Those who are uh, know God listen to us, and whoever is not from God do not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, so we'll, we'll unpack that. We'll unpack that, but he's... He's being pretty simple. And I think oftentimes this verse is quoted uh, about being overcomers. And, you know, churches name themselves after this overcoming theme. And preachers talk about overcoming uh, the world. And it just sounds like, you know, God wants you to be an overcomer by overcoming your, your, um, your debt. By overcoming your athletic injury. You're an overcomer. You'll get back on. You'll get back in on the team. Just trust. Uh, you'll overcome your debt. You'll get a bigger house. You're an overcomer. Or some people will spiritualize it into demonic things, like overcomers conquer demons. Okay, yeah, that's true. But what does that mean? Are we, you know, what does that mean? Are we walking around doing exorcisms? 
Here's what he means. You overcome the world and you overcome uh, evil by clinging to truth and not being duped by error. That, that's how you overcome. Does that mean you might have to get a little nerdy? You might have to get into the Bible a little more? Yeah. But that's how you overcome. Right? That's, that's the function of it. And so when he says that he calls them little children, he says, you have overcome them. He's not telling them you have to overcome them. This is something that's accomplished at the cross. This is something that Jesus has already accomplished. Uh, in John's gospel, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he tells the disciples, take heart. I have overcome. And it's like, what are you talking about? You're about to get crucified. And Jesus is already putting it past tense. I've overcome. This is a done deal. So it still has to play out in our lives, but it's not, uh, it's not that you have to uh, do a conquering. It's that a certain conquering has been done. You just have to know it. You just have to understand it and use that as your discerning factor to understand what's false, what isn't true. And so he encourages them by calling them little children, telling them they are from God and have overcome those antichrists in the world. Why? Because God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, I think this is all of that, is in you and is greater than the liar. He will, he will keep you abiding in the truth because he's greater than the deceiver. He's greater than the accuser. And so that is our bedrock foundation. And so we don't listen to false teachers. I think when he says we in verse 6, we are from God, I think he's talking about the apostles because he says uh, you are from God in verse 4. And then he says they are from the world in verse 5. And I think we are from God in verse 6 is a third group. I think he's talking about John, the witnesses of Christ, who've given this teaching to you. We are the ones that you're supposed to listen to. And if you're from God, you listen to us. And those who don't listen to us, it's because they're not from God. So there's an established authoritative message there that is passed on to other Christians. John is passing it on to them in his writing. This is called scripture. So what is our bedrock foundation? How do we know who Jesus is? How do we know he's the Christ? How do we know he's from God? The Bible. The apostles, the witnesses wrote it down and gave it to us in the form of scripture. John is writing it to them in the form of scripture. He's writing it to them and saying, this is, the, this is the teaching that's official that you're supposed to listen to. And those who listen to it are from God. And those who don't listen to it are not from God. This is why it's a very bad sign if you're uh, talking to a friend, a Christian friend about something you're going through and they start explaining to you something from scripture and it hurts, ouch, it stings. If your reaction is, don't talk, don't preach to me right now. I don't want to hear that. Ooh, ooh, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. You want to be preached to. As long as there's truth, you need scripture to shape and form what you're supposed to be thinking, doing, and feeling. And so we love scripture. We delight in it. We meditate on it. We don't move away from it because that's how we know the apostolic teaching. Look, he doesn't say, uh, when, you, when you're confronted with teaching, Feel it out. You know, just what vibe does it give you? He's not talking about vibes. He's talking about something objective. What do they objectively say about Christ? 
what is, how, does, how does their teaching match up with what we objectively have in front of us? When he says, uh, we are from God, and those who are from God or know God listen to us, well, what are they listening to? A, an objective set of teaching. And so we don't have to guess. It's inscripturated. And so John isn't saying, I just need you to sense the Holy Spirit moving. Close your eyes and see if the Spirit is letting you know that this person is a false teacher or not. It, this is not about uh, picking up on the Spirit's sort of subjective waves, but what the Spirit has written down. I find it interesting how oftentimes people, it, it tends, it, it, denominations that downplay, that, that downplay the objective nature of God's Word tend to play up the subjective nature of the Spirit, right? Preachers that don't do a lot of homework in studying the Bible because the Spirit just gives them the message when they're going to preach, right? When somebody leaves a service and say, wow, that was powerful. Why was that powerful? Oh, you can sense the Spirit moving. How, how did you sense that? Oh, man, the goosebumps during the music. Yeah, you can get that at a U2 concert. I want to hear Christians coming out of services saying that was powerful. And when they're asked why that was powerful, because the truth was preached. When the preacher said something, I looked down in the, in the, in the Bible and the Bible said what that guy said. That's why it was powerful. And what moved me was truth. The truthfulness of what we sung, not because, uh, you know, the basis really helped us hit that climax in the song. And so it's not that emotions are unimportant. It's that emotions need to be informed by what we know, what we know to be true. There's nothing here about feelings. There's nothing here about emotions or how the teachers made you feel, right? What this is, there has to be an objective standard to say, man, this guy's really likable. There's people on YouTube, uh, preachers on YouTube that I think are really likable, but I stay far away. And then there's some guys where I'm like, man, they're kind of like need to work on their people skills, but they're very truthful. Right. And I'd rather have the second than the first. And so John wants you to understand this. Here's what he wants you to understand. That your victory over deceivers. Your victory over deceivers. Is your sticking to God's word. That's your victory. How are you an overcomer? You're an overcomer by being a student of the Bible. By being a discerning Christian. Who understands that not everyone out there is speaking truth. They might have a big church, right? Uh, they might have a lot of published books. Not everything out there is truthful. So you have to be discerning. And the only way to be discerning is to be a student of God's word, to stick to and listen to what's been laid out for us in scripture. And so we discern error by knowing the truth well. Uh, if, if someone told you a lie about your next door neighbor, you may or may not catch it. If someone tells you a lie about your spouse, you're probably going to catch it. Why? Because no one knows your spouse better than you. So how do you discern error? You discern error by knowing the truth. So you see when the fake thing shows up, you can tell it's fake. Why? Because you're so familiar with the, the real thing, the real deal. And so we understand how to discern error by understanding God's word. Uh, I don't think there's any way around the fact that you've got to study it. You've got to read it. You've got to learn it. 
you got to lean into it. And there are different ways that we do that here at CFC. Uh, you know, obviously we have our, our CFC courses. We encourage you to jump in on that, be challenged by it, right? Raise, raise the ceiling on your ability to engage in God's word and not make the excuse that that's for nerds. Um, I'm not a word person. I'm a numbers person or I'm a, I'm a tactile learner. Who cares? God gave us the Bible. He didn't give us blocks to play with, right? He didn't give us a, a machine to put together. Do that as your hobby. This isn't about how we're pre-wired. This is about the fact that uh, God gave us words and the way to discern error is to study them. And some of us will be better at it than others. And some of us really want, can, can really geek out in terms of language and, and everything like that. Uh, but look, uh, I'm, I'm not challenging you to, to, to learn Greek and become a critical scholar. I'm just saying, when's the last time you spent a uh, good time in God's word, loving it, delighting in it, underlining it, circling things, taking notes, right? I think for many Christians, their diet of God's word is to show up on Sunday or in this mode, a jump in a Zoom call, listen to what the preacher says, and then tune out after that. Uh, I don't want you, you should not be on the Lucas diet, right? I want you to be discerning and reading God's word. One of the most encouraging things in my ministry over the years has been when someone comes up to me after a sermon and corrects me on something I missed or ask me whether I missed something, because sometimes I did, and sometimes I do, right? But if everyone's just passive, I may have gotten something wrong, and maybe out of respect, uh, someone doesn't want to say anything, but I see it as being out of love. Obviously, you can approach me in a jerky way, but I still would probably rather have that than not be approached about it. I want to hear people engaging. Okay, you said this, but I saw this. My other translation said that. What gives? What's the deal? I love that. That means you're engaging and you're reading it for yourself and you're becoming a discerning Christian and not just leaning uh, on the homework that I put in during the week. So we've got CFC courses. You can take notes during the sermons. Of course, have your Bible open when we're anytime, not just on Sundays, but have your Bible open and always check what the preacher is saying. A lot of preachers start with a Bible passage. And 30 minutes later, they haven't mentioned the Bible passage since the beginning of the sermon, if they even read a verse. A lot of preachers like to say, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. I try to explain to you, I'm getting this from Matthew 7. I'm getting this from 2 Peter 2. Write those things down. Look it up later. Is that what it actually, did I quote it right? Did I say it right? Am I putting those pieces together right? Be a discerning believer. Have a Bible reading plan. This is basic Christianity 101, right? Have a Bible reading plan not our daily bread. I'm not saying don't read our daily bread, but that shouldn't be your actually your, your daily bread. That's like a, that's like a snack <laughs> at best. There's a little sliver of a verse, a paragraph of barely of an explanation. And then like a quote at the end, it's way too light, way too light. You have to read the actual Bible, not a sliver of a verse. So use our daily bread for your morning, you're tired, you, don't, you can't handle a lot, whatever, a coffee break, but you've got to find a way to get into the actual Bible itself and not all in different order, right? Some, some devotional plans out there will give you a snippet of a verse here, a snippet of a verse there. Open up a book and just move through it. Read through Esther, 
I mean, don't break Esther apart into a bunch of little short stories. It's a, it's a whole story. Read through it. It's a, treat it like a novel. Change the translation and read it again. Um, go through a book, one verse at a time, reading through it in chunks. But have some kind of Bible reading plan. Sunday morning shouldn't be the only time that Scripture is going through your heart, your head and your heart. Uh, I want you to read books. Uh, and if you don't like reading, listen to them then. <laughs> get, get audio books. And just while you're washing dishes, have someone reading to you something, uh, explaining scripture, teaching you something about theology, teaching you something about the faith. Uh, and if you found the boring one, okay, get, a, get another one. Uh, ask, ask friends, ask around. Uh, and in fact, uh, after the service today, we've done a couple of times an impromptu sort of show and tell with our pets. I wanna do show and tell with what you're reading. Uh, so after our service today, after I close in prayer, I'm going to hang out on here and I want, show me what you're reading. Show me what you're into right now that is helping develop you as a Christian, helping to uh, build your discernment, uh, building up your understanding of God's truth. Uh, there are a lot of great YouTube channels out there of responsible teachers. Uh, a lot of them, are, uh, uh, podcasts that are available are local preachers. At Trinity, one of the most common questions I get are, who are the preachers you follow? And I almost never mention famous people. I mentioned pastors in Roselle. I mentioned pastors in Elgin, pastors in, uh, you know, uh, Mount Prospect, local guys that are solid. They're not famous, but they're solid and they're good. And I listen to them oftentimes. And so find uh, trustworthy uh, pastors. And you know, many of them who are in our network one way or another, the Five Stone Pastors, uh, the Chicagoland Gospel Network Pastors. These are pastors doing good work out there, uh, and they teach in a different style than I do, and it's good to listen to other solid, responsible preachers. Final, final encouragement. Uh, if, you, if you read through First John, he has a lot of us and we language, right? Because the Christian isn't alone. Beloved children, not beloved child. It's a group of people that listen to the group of the, the apostolic teaching. So lean into community and fellowship. Too many Christians are satisfied studying the Bible on their own. Uh, you're, you're limping along in the faith if you don't invite others to weigh in and help you see things. Uh, if you're only studying the Bible by yourself and not letting other voices weigh in, you're missing a lot of stuff. And you actually might be on the wrong track on some things. And it takes other Christians around you to be like, actually, I, I see it this way. You look at it afresh and you realize, oh, snap, they were right. I missed it. How'd I miss that? Well, you wouldn't have caught that if you weren't in some kind of community group. And so that's why we have growth groups. Listen, we don't have growth groups because seminary taught pastors, you're supposed to have small groups. Who cares? It's not a church growth strategy. Small groups is whatever you want to call it, growth groups, some life groups. It's a time to get together and compare with one another what we're learning in Scripture and to encourage one another from Scripture in our growth in Christianity. And if we don't see that as important, then we're not really getting the dangers here. We're not getting the dangers that John is warning us about, warning us uh, and, and picking up on Jesus' warnings from the Gospels that, this is, uh, that error is destructive. Error will ruin your life, and you have to be prepared for it now not later. And so we do that with our own homework that we do. 
And we do that together in community, leaning into the wisdom of others that also have the spirit in them, teaching them that anointing that allows us to be protected from error. I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to close in a song. And, uh, and then after our service, I just want to, you know, kind of hang out and let's talk. If you have questions about resources, uh, if you have questions about what you can start reading or what a good Bible plan might be, or who are some of these preachers that I referenced earlier, we'll hang out on here and share some of the stuff that we're, uh, reading, um, and that we're using to, uh, develop ourselves. But, we may feel like we're not in danger now, but we need to prepare now so that we're not in danger later. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you, you don't just warn us about false teachers and errors that are out there and destructive heresies without giving us something to do about it. And so we're thankful that we have your word, that even though sometimes there are portions of it that are really tough, sometimes it's complex. Sometimes it's uh, really profound and we have to, it takes a while for us to ingest what it's saying. God, it's, it's delightful. It's nutritious. It's life-giving. It's protecting. It is, uh, it is allowing us to be built up in Christ in a way that uh, seals us off from attacks by the enemy. It, it truly is our sword. And so we pray that we wouldn't just be in a passive Christian mode, but active uh, using that offensive weapon of, of the sword that you've given us in the word of God so that we can stand our ground in this fight, uh, sticking to truth, sticking to what the Bible says, and so that we can um, understand you better and better understand what you require of us in response to who you are and what you've revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the truth of the gospel, that we don't save ourselves by how much we study. We don't become overcomers, but we are in Christ overcomers because Jesus Christ defeated sin, Satan, and death at the cross. And in his resurrection, he invites us into that new life. And I pray that we would continue to sense that new heartbeat in our desire to study the word of God that you've given to us so graciously, Lord. As we close in the song, would you align our hearts with that message? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.